Check the program. 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 Welcome to Check the Program, a podcast by four local arts journalists who saw a desperate need for arts coverage in the city and decided to do something about it. I am Sarah Petrescu. I'm John Trofall. I'm Amanda Farrell-Lowe. And I'm Melanie Trump-Hoover. And tonight we're talking about a bunch of stuff that we've been to over the last week or so. Uh, the Belfry's Bang Bang, Blue Bridge's 39 Steps, Missing from Pacific Opera Victoria, a little bit about some of the Halloween fair that, that uh, we caught up on since our last show. We've also got an interview with Heather Jarvie from Half Hacks Theatre talking about their new production of Be Still that's coming up in a few weeks. And then we'll talk a little bit about what's coming up in early November. But before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge that Victoria occupies the traditional territories of the Lekwungen and Coast Salish peoples, including what is now known as the Esquimalt and Songhees First Nations. And as settler people, we have the privilege to live work and create on these lands and much of the art we are discussing has also been created and performed here. Nice. All right, so let's get started. Uh, Melanie and I were at Bang Bang on opening night. Halloween of all things. Yeah, and boy, you know what I love doing? This is actually not the first time I have been to the Belfry on Halloween night. I love just walking mm-hmm. through Fernwood on Halloween night. It's the best. <laughs> it really is. Especially like the mist settled in was from the fireworks as I was walking home from, I don't know if you had the same experience. It just felt like a perfect Halloween night. Yeah. There's lots of bang banging going on. <laughs> <in Fernwood>. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Got to stop by uh, John and Beth's awesome yard display. It's a performance in itself. Yeah. Good piece of like community theater before. Yeah. You know, it's all rooted in our Burning Man practice. Seriously. Like it's community building it's hands-on mm-hmm. art it's uh, just putting something out there for people in the neighborhood and it was really it was, it really was awesome yeah. so thanks for that oh, yeah. um so yeah it was i i really enjoyed this show it um it definitely left you with a lot to chew on on the way out of the theater i mean it wasn't perfect mm-hmm. i definitely felt like yeah it was yeah it, it had it had some issues i felt like mm-hmm. but uh i I still thought it was a really solid piece of theater. Yeah, I agree. And a strong production. Yeah. Um, What's the setup for the show? So uh, the whole... I don't want to give too much of the plot away, mm-hmm. but uh, sort of the, the, the setup is we've got um, this young black female cop, uh, Lila Hines, played by Beverly Induku. In she uh, has this incident where she accidentally shoots this unarmed uh, black teenager. It becomes this big deal. She ends up uh, living back at home with her mom, uh, Karen, played by Verona Setchuelo. And uh, anyway, this white playwright uh, named Tim Birnbaum, he's played by Tom Keenan, uses this incident, which a very public publicized incident as this quote-unquote jumping off point Mm -hmm. to write this play it becomes a huge smashing hit smash hit Mm -hmm. uh tours everywhere goes off broadway um of course he doesn't actually consult with these folks when creating this play Mm -hmm. um it's a huge success uh and then you know i think the second scene in the show is him knocking on their door to talk to them because 
the play is getting optioned to become a movie and he's kind of just heading off something at the pass, trying to make it seem like he's a, a good mm. guy and concerned for their welfare, but really he's kind of looking out for himself. And mm. that's sort of a, a reoccurring mm-hmm. theme with this character, this this playwright character. Oh, he's okay. real fake woke. Yeah, he's fake, he's fake woke. That's mm. a good way of mm-hmm. putting it. And um, yeah, so it's it's an interesting vehicle, I think, for exploring a lot of issues around um, yeah, like police violence and racism and that whole idea of fake wokeness, mm-hmm. like of uh, on the surface being uh, aware of these issues, but not really and using them for your own personal gain. And, and I did, um, my friend that I went to the, the play with, uh, and I couldn't help but agree with her. was like, I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with that playwright, man. He was just such an asshole. And, and I was like, yeah, you know, he was like, he, he was so unlikable. Mm -hmm. That character was so extremely unlikable. And I can't, couldn't help but feel like, because this is a play written by a white playwright, did this white playwright character within this play have to be extremely unlikable or, or else that would open up this potential hypocrisy yeah yeah another white savior story yeah Yeah. totally like there were like maybe a couple of little glimpses of like parts where you had a little bit of empathy for this guy Mm -hmm. but otherwise he was just like universally just a sleaze bucket (laughs) like he was so sleazy he was and i guess the foil to have those conversations Mm -hmm. but he it was almost distracting from it to a point because he was just so like so garbage yeah he's so unlikable every time he opened his mouth that you where i think maybe what the play was trying to set up is is the various points of view right where he was trying to raise you know this was public a public instant that everybody knows about so why can't i like what's the statute of limitations on this Mm -hmm. tragedy just because obviously as it was finding its success she was reliving the trauma of it over and over again and more and more people from her community were from the community that they lived in were were um uh getting angry and protesting and, and, you know, it just continued the trauma for her. But yet his, you know, reasonable points that are at least worth asking were yeah. really clouded by and him that's, being And that divorced. was a big thing too, because he did, I felt like, yeah, some of his arguments did have a bit of merit, but he was just such a mm-hmm. dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and it, it just made you sort of dismiss any, yeah, so. And the first half, he's not wearing one of his socks and that was <laughs> so gross and so distracting. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it sounds miles away different from Mustard, which we saw from Cat's Handler last mm-hmm. year. And that really mm-hmm. divided audiences, I know. Like, mm-hmm. some people loved it, some people hated it. Um, what's the sense on this one? I don't, I didn't see Mustard. Mm-hmm. Personally, I felt like this was a really solid production, a really solid show. I mean, some people aren't are going to find some of the ideas in the show um, difficult to process but i i felt like overall as a show judging by the conversations we had around this table about mustard i feel like it'd be less divisive as a as a production like as an overall play yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. there wasn't the like you know violence that i know turns people off with mustard some of the content like Mm -hmm. the subject matter that people struggled with this i think everyone like can agree that it's a conversation worth having yeah and i mean unless you're thrown by swearing I guess that's uh, the one carryover from Mustard where there was some profane yeah, language. There, there was quite sure a bit of swearing. Do we know why we have two Cat Sandler plays two years in a row? I guess uh, Michael Schmada must have really liked Up the plays. Up and coming, mm-hmm. or like well-known Canadian. Yeah, I don't. I mean, Canadian playwright. 
I did find it interesting that this play was programmed right after the children, which mm. is another, um, I mean, topical I, yeah, right? issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, like the production was great. There are two other uh, characters in this play that kind of come in a little bit later. This former child star, Jackie Savage, played by Sebastian Hines and his bodyguard, Tony Capello, played by Alex uh, Potch Golden, who I actually thought was what, my favorite character mm-hmm. in the show. He's like, you, you, he walks in and you think he's like the stereotypical Italian bodyguard guy and just a big dummy, but there, he has these very tender, sweet moments in the show and um, has a lot of wisdom to offer mm-hmm. when you kind of think that maybe he's just another dumb white guy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, just some notes on the. I thought the direction was really good. Yep. Um, the whole play does take place in the living in one living room, but great use of the furniture and the space. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of really nice little touches, like uh, there's a storm happening for the whole time of the show, and some of the characters have to go out to the car to get things, and they open the door and there's actual rain falling outside instead of just like cool. insinuate. And I so the characters can go outside and they'll come back in and they'll have they'll be wet things like that. I thought mm-hmm. that was really nice. And mm-hmm. some nice, like, light streaming in through uh, windows, like, backlighting and stuff. So, um... Yeah, a lot of attention to detail. Yeah, just nice little attention to detail. Scott Henderson was the lighting uh, designer today. So, that that was great. Like, uh, so overall, I, I thought it was a really solid production. Well, it's... And it's quite funny. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, uh, there's lots of really funny bits in it. Um... Melanie and I had a conversation outside the theater that um, she and her theater companion didn't quite feel that the uh, the big kind of climactic moment at the end was earned. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it after, and I think you're right. I don't know if it was. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of character development in this show. No. I, it was more about, the show was more about exploring ideas than about developing characters. Yeah, I agree. Right? There's a lot going on in this show that, like, isn't necessarily rooted in reality I think like in terms of things that would actually happen in real life yeah like <laughs> I was thinking I'm like what if okay so would this incident happen mm-hmm. this guy write a play have it be hugely successful and then get an option in movie all within two years I'm like that's not really real <laughs> <laughs> that was like, you have to suspend your disbelief <laughs> yeah for a few I know it's the theater right like yeah. but it, there, there were other yeah. things too where it's like okay well you know yeah. it's the theater like things aren't you have to, but yeah, I, I feel like the show was less about character development and more about exploring some ideas, which mm-hmm. it does, and it leaves you with a lot to think about at the end. So mm-hmm. for days and days afterwards. Yeah, so totally. I'm still, it. you know, like, and yeah, just a lot to think about. Like, who, how do we explore these ideas without harming people they happen to, right? Because these are important things to discuss, and you know, gun violence is happening, and if we're going to be using real events to inspire art, what responsibility do we have to these communities? Um, as white people, do should we be telling these stories? Should we be letting other people tell these stories, helping them tell these stories? Or is that just offloading emotional labor onto other people? Mm-hmm. Because, like, yeah, there's a lot of... It's complicated and it's messy. And there's... Anyway, just lots to think about. And it's a great show. It sounds like it's a, it would be a good companion piece to uh, the Belfast production of The Valley a couple of years ago with Joan McLeod's play, mm-hmm. about which was inspired by the Robert Jadinsky uh, killing at the airport, but you know very much looked at that idea of police violence in communities, and but not in what sounds like a funny way at all. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, 
I was glad it was a comedy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it was, and yeah, like it's kind of surprising how funny this show is. But anyway, it runs till November twenty fourth at the Belfry. I'd highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, strong cast, great production. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as mentioned, a really interesting season from the Belfry so far. I'm really yeah excited to see them challenging their audiences mm-hmm. in this way. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And on a totally other note, <laughs> we saw the, yeah. Sarah and I saw the 39 Steps at, uh, at oh, Blue Bridge. Yeah. It's not it, super fun as well. Not not a like a real thinker play, <laughs> I'd say. No, sort of a fun... Um off-kilter, spooky Halloween show, I guess. A classic farce. So 39 Steps um, by Patrick Barlow and John Buchan, which was a play on Alfred Hitchcock's uh, 39 Steps. Um, Yeah, it's... I'm not a Hitchcock fan, really, but I find just the motifs and the, you know, the character his uh, characters over the years. There's so many familiar things in it. So, mm-hmm. um, but the highlight for the show is that it was just staged so wonderfully and it was absolutely hilarious and excellent cast. Every performance was like, I don't know, tired. <laughs> it was tiring to watch them because they were all so good. And uh, yeah, what did you think, Phil? Yeah, I thought, again, not also a big Hitchcock fan, but it really followed a similar arc that Hitchcock explores. There was Richard Hanney, is who it opens on, um, and he's a well-to-do Londoner that's bored and ends up sitting next to um, Annabella, this mysterious woman at the theater, and she quickly upturns his life in a night, pulling him into her little spy world, and then he's on the run, wanted for murder the next day, <laughs> totally by accident, and is making his way across... Scotland trying to get to Edinburgh um, to clear his name and solve a mystery and whatnot. And it's just like a very much 10 twists a minute caper. Um, so I agree the performance because of that, um, uh, Rod Peter Jr. And Chris Mackey in particular, it was a cast of four, but those two played the clowns. So they had to play half a dozen characters each um, with a lot of accents that were surprisingly not butchering. Like they were, <laughs> they were campy, but not caricature, which is a fine line to walk. You're pretty caricature if you're Scottish. Well, yeah, if you're Scottish, you you probably would be offended by it, but mm-hmm. um, anyways. Or you might think it's hilarious. And they just had to throw, um, Gabriel McDonald played Richard Henney, throw his character from scene to scene, pushing him towards Edinburgh and all these just ridiculously um, outlandish scenarios, speaking of suspending yeah. disbelief. And they did it so well. It would have otherwise, and I think probably in some productions would be really frenetic and just feel like a bit off the rails and uh, exhausting to watch. This was, you know, tiring, as you say, in that you just couldn't believe the energy they had. Mm-hmm. But because of Jacob Richmond's direction, he grounded it in, um, he's, you know, we all know a lot of his work in town, but Atomic Vaudeville, if you've been to uh, the cabarets that he's worked on, um, they have a way of pulling together all sorts of kind of manic action and grounding it with funny pop culture references or um, fun little uh, ways of staging. There was this train chase scene where um, they're they're running along and flapping their own coats in the wind to simulate <laughs> the the chase and whatnot. And, and like he the just... chase on top of a train. How mm-hmm. do you you know recreate that on a stage with nothing basically? And that's how brilliant. you do it. It was so well directed, and the the sound design from Alex Lozenko was the the other piece 
piece that just grounded this wild, wild action um, and brought a lot more texture and depth to it than just a, a silly Hitchcock farce. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is. There were bagpipe versions of like small town girl. Any top forty two you can think of. Yeah, and it's uh, pretty good. it was excellent. So fun. I think Blue Bridge is on a little bit of a bit of a roll right now. The last couple shows I've been, they've like kind of let their hair down a little bit mm-hmm. and um, are having fun with some of these classics and modernizing them in a way maybe a little bit than they have been before. I mean, they sent up Hitchcock's, of course, classic. Always there's a blonde or a brunette or a redhead and his women are usually very poorly written and they kind of, they played with that. Mm-hmm. And Amanda Lisman mm-hmm. did a great job of, of playing with that and bringing a little bit more um, gravitas to them than mm-hmm. they're usually written. So yeah, mm-hmm. lots of fun. Just closed um, this past weekend, but they're re- that it started, um, kicked off their new season, um, and Billy Bishop. I think mm-hmm. they're remounting in time for um, just past just around a Remembrance Day. Yeah. So there's oh, that's a quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. It was a busy couple weeks for our Atomic Vaudeville Associated friends. Um, at the same time, Rocky Horror Picture Show was mm-hmm. going. Um, which Prince Mall is part of, and then also Atomic Vaudeville Cabaret, which I went to on the day after Halloween, November 1st, which is a Friday, and you'd think everyone would dress up, but there are two people dressed up, and I was okay, like, there's no. <laughs> People have this weird thing about, like, as soon as Halloween's over, it's like a cardinal it. sin to, like, have any Halloween-related, like, you can't have a party or anything. Come on. My, one of my coworkers, we had a Halloween party at work on the 31st, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to a Halloween party this weekend. I was like, wow, someone has guts <laughs> to be throwing yeah. a Halloween party after Halloween. I know, What yeah. were you dressed as? Um, I was just kind of like a spooky lady. Not many yeah. people were dressed up at the Belfry either. I did have a costume that I made um, for work, and it's a Vancouver special. That costume was amazing. Vancouver special, yeah. Kind of hard to walk around in, not really good to sit. I was going to say. Yeah, I wasn't going to drag that out for Friday night. But, yeah, the show was great. Atomic Bottle was great. I mean, I think, when did it start? 12 years ago? I think I feel like I've been going for 12 years. More than that. I remember going to their 10th anniversary a while ago. Yeah, a while right? ago now. And yeah. it's been a while since I've been having kids and such, and they are late nights, mm-hmm. usually involving a hangover. <laughs> but um, and this is no different. But uh, yeah, it was a great show. Their cast was excellent. Lots of young actors and then some familiar faces. It was just really well choreographed um, with Kelly Hobson and Britt Small. And then Jacob and Alex Osenko were... Jacob Richmond and Alex Osenko did the writing for the show. And it feels like when this when their show is so has a great storyline and it's really well rehearsed, it is especially when you so go near impressive. the end of the run. It's yeah. like really mm-hmm. tight. Yeah, yeah. And talking when talking about woke culture, that was a huge theme mm-hmm. of the show. Um, it was hosted by Tegan and Sarah, the Quinn, you know, mm-hmm. Quinn sisters, <laughs> Justine Shore and Kelly Hobson. They were hilarious. But there was it had a real millennial. Um, anxiety theme to it and it was hilarious so that was great um, yeah I definitely inspired me to make it out keep going tomorrow so great yeah and uh, for another completely different turn of boy style <clears throat> I John, went to you were nothing it. funny at all <laughs> uh, I went to Pacific Opera Victoria's uh, remount of Missing uh, which is the small chamber opera uh, about the missing and murdered indigenous women 
on the Highway of Tears, uh, which I believe, Sarah, you saw the original That's mounting it, of it two, two years, years ago. Two years ago, yeah. Yeah, originally co-commissioned by City Opera in Vancouver and POV. Uh, I loved everything about this show. Like, the, the production was just seamless, uh, you know, everything was great. The music was great, the singing was great, the cast was great, the projections were fantastic. Uh, Andy Morrow did the production, the projection design for this show, and it was just incredible what they could do in that small, they did it in the Bauman Center, little tiny space uh, and it was just haunting what they presented on that small stage um, just a two-night run uh, November 1st and 2nd they're taking on the road to Regina they're going to be showing it in Regina and then taking up to Prince George which I think will be very emotional laden to see that on the stage in Prince no George kidding. at the start of the Highway of Tears mm -hmm. uh, where I'm sure the audience will it'll have much more resonance to it but I, I would love to know if there's a way to get this show in front of as many people as possible because it was you're talking about shows that are rooted in issues that do you know have conversations that come out of it and not only is this a fantastic and powerful piece of art but the issues it's dealing with mm -hmm. are presented in such a way that it's just unflinching uh, again you've got the unsympathetic white character in it and you've got uh, Marion Newman who plays this wonderful university instructor uh, who's trying to get this other young university woman to understand her perspective of what's going on and then you've got the central character uh, of Ava who's having this uh, literal transformation due to her experience of finding the body of a uh, murdered indigenous woman in the woods after having a car accident herself and it's, it's just it's it's haunting it's would it be Just, something that's appropriate for like school, like older students or you'd have to be an older mm -hmm. student just because it's you know it's Pretty about intense, 90 yeah. minutes no intermission full on opera which can be challenging for any audience mm -hmm. at all mm -hmm. but i think the fact that it is an opera really works well with the themes and the uh, the emotional weight of this piece mm -hmm. um operas traditionally dealing with larger than life characters and larger than life issues often rooted around a tragedy of some mm -hmm. kind in working in different languages yeah. mm -hmm. so here we have a, an opera that's in english and gitscan and it's surtitled, of course, which so many operas are, if they're Italian or French or German or whatever it may be. So opera as a motif really suits this show. And uh, the issues are so big and the, the personal tragedy is so overwhelming and the characters that we see on stage, uh, it just suits that operatic nature. Imagine so. it at like the NAC or something. I would love to see it at the mm -hmm. NAC. That, yeah. uh, There's something mm -hmm. powerful about seeing a small space too because you're mm -hmm. sitting with the people like yeah. you really yeah. are within the the performers so i wonder what it would be like transformed to a bigger space where you might have that separation of stage yeah, and like, yeah. you know in the bowman you're like literally like right in front of the stage well and the amazing thing about the bowman center too is like there's one point in the show where you know the projection sort of drew your eye up and the screen was moving up and uh, you know, you're tracking the moon up as it went up on the stage. And then, of course, on the ceiling of the Bowman Center is okay. that incredible mm -hmm. carving by mm -hmm. Carrie Newman, mm -hmm. which almost worked as part of the set, you know. And I'm sure, of course, that's not the intention of it, and they won't have that in the other places. But then having his sister, Marion Newman, singing one yeah, of the leads was wow. really amazing as well. Mm -hmm. So it was just, it was a fantastic package all the way around, and I was felt very fortunate to be able to see it this time because I did miss it the yeah. first time. So, so a number of Indigenous um, women in the... In the cast and then... And on the production design team, too. Production. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, I, man, I'll give a throw to the little small uh, seven-piece orchestra as well. Uh, fantastic work by them. And at one point in the show, uh, they were not playing their instruments. They are just playing their body, body percussion during a nightmare sequence. And it really gave this haunting 
driven feel to the scene that instruments alone would not have been able to do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. If, if Missing ever plays in town again, I would encourage anyone to go see it. Mm-hmm. And so I recall when I saw it a couple of years ago, there were a few sort of elements of like cultural safety before and after, like just sort of talking to the audience. Um, and there was a perform- special for performance for um, survivors mm. of trauma um, residential school survivors did you were, did they mention any of that no what they were doing after with these performances uh, they're doing a cedar smudge and then uh, the cedar branch sort of um, brush off mm-hmm. afterwards oh, okay. as well which was nice to be able to offer that mm-hmm. and then at the very end of Saturday night's performance uh, a woman from Regina where it's traveling to next got up on stage made a statement and then she sang the uh, strong woman song mm. and that was fantastic okay. to hear people in the audience picking up the song and mm. singing that yeah as well. they, so, that was the same when i saw it yeah, too yeah and that's such a powerful song to mm-hmm. sing and to hear and be present yeah. for and so. i feel like you know when you're from bc that's at so many protests at the um stolen sisters march mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. kind of become part of our cultural sort of mourning is just that song which is like really beautiful and powerful mm-hmm. yeah anyways it was excellent production and uh i'm <laughs> pretty picky most of the time and i gotta say there was nothing about this show that i didn't like mm-hmm. so fantastic work from pacific opera with missing wow yeah what a like rich couple weeks of no kidding productions. yeah, yeah. yeah what a variety yeah no kidding and speaking of, we've got yeah. some more coming up. Um, John, you had a chance to meet with Heather Jarvie this week. Yeah. And talk about what Hapax is up to. Yes, I went along and I talked to Heather Jarvie. She's the artistic director of Hapax Theatre and the co-founder of it with her husband, Chad Laidlaw. Uh, they're mounting Be Still, which is Janet Munsell's ambitious 2001 play, uh, which I don't know if any... I saw the original mounting that of the Belfry. That was before my time, yeah. yeah. Fantastic little play. Very difficult to produce. And I don't believe anyone has done it since 2001. It was uh, originally a co-pro between the Belfry and the Gateway. Um, it's all about the local photographer Hannah Maynard. Uh, if you have seen downtown, the Maynard building is still there. Uh, she was uh, quite ahead of her time photographically. She was working with double and multiple explo- exposures, uh, photographic trickery. She was also very interested in the spiritualist community, and mm. she was dealing with their own grief through the loss of her child. So all of this is blended together in this incredibly complex production that Janet wrote. Um, so I wanted to talk to, to Heather just about why that play, and uh, we talked a little bit about Hapax's place in the local theater scene as well. Um, one thing she said is that when she's building a season, she does like to add something in by a local playwright, and Chad Laidlaw had actually seen the original production back in 2000 as well, 2001 as well, and felt that it had really stayed with him ever since. Um, Heather had only read the script, but loved what she heard in the script. The idea of this kind of um, uh, universal story of, of grief and fatigue and exhaustion and the different ways that we process that and then tying it to local story, local history. Um, the more I kind of dove into it, I just fell more and more in love. So um, I was very nervous about taking it on because there's a lot of uh, theater magic mm. that happens in the show. Um, and being that we are performing in a teeny tiny space with next to no budget, um, I wasn't sure if this was doable in a way that would honor 
Janet, but Chad and I sat down and, and really looked at the design things and, and realized that we could, we could tackle it. The teeny tiny space she's talking about is the Intrepid Theater Club. Interestingly, it was originally produced in the Belfry studio as well, so also a small space. Uh, the Belfry's uh, technical package was, I'm sure, much more impressive than what Hapax will be doing with it as well. <laughs> uh, but because it deals with a photographer who specialized in photographic trickery, getting that across on the stage with a cast of six and a limited budget would be very difficult. Um, it made me wonder because there's so many productions we're seeing now coming around with like actual digital sets, you know, projections yeah. and things like that. I think about the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night. Uh, the Belfry has shown us a couple of things like that. But Heather says uh, obviously they can't afford to do that. They're going very old school with it. There's very, uh, very clear directions, um, like stage directions, about um, somebody disappearing through a wall or, um, you know, um, uh, appearing behind uh, within an image and things. And so, um, but we took that kind of as a guideline and then went realistically based on what we're capable of doing, how do we still get that effect of magic, but not doing quite as much as what's in there um so we kind of had to pick and choose the moments that really felt like this is absolutely necessary to the story and then some other ones where we went okay i trust our actors and our audience to to believe that this magic is happening um, so we are leaving a little bit more up to imagination um, which has meant a lot of really detailed work from the actors in terms of seeing things that aren't there and um really following their track of of who's where and and what magic is happening and but maybe not visible to the audience mm -hmm. so um, they've been paying really close attention and then um, yeah finding those those special moments to to do the theater magic I'm glad they're remounting uh, well not really remounted I'm glad they're mounting uh, this production by Janet Munsell Janet's having a particularly strong couple of years yeah yeah because mm -hmm. uh, we saw the what the Phineas Gage show. yeah that, that, that elusive spark yeah. yeah Lang Court mounted that recently she just had her brand new play premiere in mm -hmm. Vancouver Act of Faith uh, she recently had a stage reading of her latest play Attaboy down mm -hmm. in Belfry as well uh, she's directing for CCPA this season she's doing uh, Good Morning Desdemona Good Night mm -hmm. Juliet or is it Good Night Good Morning Desdemona yeah, 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 that yeah. one yeah she's directing <laughs> the one with those ladies <laughs> yeah, yeah she's directing that as well so it's it, there's a lot of her work that is floating around right now um, but nobody has tackled Be Still in 18 years so I'm thrilled that Hapax is bringing it back to the stage the fact that Be Still hasn't been taken on again locally, um, I found a little surprising because I think the story is super compelling. Mm. Um, but I think part of that might be just because she does keep putting out such great work that you, it's it's hard to look back sometimes, I think. Um, so many artistic directors, I think, always want to be at the forefront of what's happening next and what's happening now um, in terms of, of plays and casting and, and all of that. So um, it surprised me that it hadn't been approached, but it also kind of makes sense given that she just keeps doing brilliant work um but i think it's a neat it's a neat challenge to take on something that is not just a period piece but also um you know 18 more yeah 18 years old now mm. um uh, that presents its own challenges uh, Heather did not grow up in Victoria. She grew up just slightly up island, uh, Lake Cowichan region. And one of the things she said she's enjoyed about the play is learning more about Victoria's history, not just Hannah Maynard and her husband Richard as well, 
but the Point Alice Bridge disaster factors into the play. Uh, noted murderess Belle Adams uh, and other little bits and pieces, and the fact that some of the the places in, that happen in the play are still in Victoria, like the Maynard Building. If you go downtown, you can still see the Maynard Building down there. Um, she said it's just been fascinating to learn about all of this, but I think uh, it's it's a nice representation for Hapax as well because they do look for challenging pieces. This is the end of their second full season. Um, so this season, just to look back on it, they did Daniel McIver's In On It. Uh, they did the two-hander Constellations. And then at the Fringe, they mounted the Edgar Allan Poe musical Nevermore. And then they're closing out their season with this. So three full productions and the Fringe show. And they're thinking about doing that again next season, three more productions next season, with the possibility of a couple of new play workshops by local playwrights. I want to look at stories that I gravitate towards, that I think our audience will, that um, offers real substance for actors to dive into, because I think um, having a performance background myself, that's what interested me most as an actor, was how to unpack you know, these, these wonderful words and these wonderful stories. So that's always my first focus. And then I'm always looking to how do we support emerging artists, um, whether that's performers, designers, or playwrights. Um, that's really, really important to me. And then also that we're featuring Canadian and female um, stories. Um, I think that um, there are so many brilliantly talented women in this city who um, who deserve more opportunities. And so if I can even help provide some of those, that's really kind of where my focus is right now. So yeah, good work with good people, good stories, and then opportunity. <laughs> Sounds like a tagline right there. <laughs> um, so the, for those who don't know what Hapax have been around since 2014, they've got nine productions under their belt now. Uh, most of them presented at either the ITC or Paul Phillips Hall at Little Fernwood. Um, but they're still kind of the new kid on the block. So I did want to ask Heather if she felt there was room for new theater companies in Victoria. But I think that there is room for us. It is tricky being kind of seen as the new guys on the block. Um, but I think it also kind of allows us a bit more freedom because people don't know what to expect from us yet. We are still in a place where we can experiment with our seasons and the kind of shows we're producing and we can test the waters. Um, we've been really, really lucky and uh, to receive such support from Victoria audiences so far, but I feel like they're also willing to take risks with us, which is really nice. So, um, so being new has its drawbacks because I feel like we have more to prove. Um, that we have staying power. I think that's kind of my biggest fear right now is that people will see us as being, um, you know, they're here now, but they're gone tomorrow. And and we are so committed to, to being here and to continuing to provide um, what we hope is seen as quality theater to Victoria audiences and provide opportunities to young artists. So just like uh, a new band or an up and coming band in town, uh, a new theater company has to build an audience, they've got to build uh, you know, the right kind of work for people as well. Uh, but just like the live music scene, one of the challenges they face is venues. Mm -hmm. uh, and Heather says this is one of the biggest challenges they face as a company, not just where they present their shows, but how they build their season and where they can physically rehearse as well. Mm -hmm. Not to be dramatic, but I beat my head against a wall a little bit with um, because it's not just about finding space to perform and working your schedule in around the 30 other companies who are trying to do the same thing. Um, but the budget constraints, because, you know, a company our size, realistically, our only options are the Intrepid Theatre Club and the Paul Phillips Hall. Um, and they are 
already booked within an inch of their lives, you know, a year in advance. But then we're also looking at where to rehearse. Mm. Um, we do a fair amount of rehearsals in the apartment. Um, I do a lot of table work with actors. Um, so luckily we can kind of schedule that here. But then when it's time to put it on his feet, it is extremely challenging to compete with so many other um, companies and artists who, you know, are, are doing the same thing as us and scrambling to find somewhere to fit in. So it has definitely changed my approach to where I put shows in the season. Um, I am looking at the availability of spaces and then going, okay, so if I have a June show, that means I can't do, you know, my, my spooky spot there and I can't get a spot anywhere in October or November. So then how does that change? the approach to to building the season um and you wouldn't think it would be so challenging but it really it it's really hard yeah you don't really think about that hey not like rehearsal all. yeah not at all you've got a six-person cast though and like she said you can do a table reading but when you've got to get it up on his feet and work on the blocking yeah. especially a show like this like a very difficult show like be still where are you going to do that yeah yeah it's like mm -hmm. it's like that whole thing about okay well and mounting an art show versus creating the art, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've got to make it somewhere first. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I've enjoyed almost everything I've seen Hapag's do. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to this version of Be Still. Uh, I'll be going to it on uh, opening weekend, November 15th, 16th, 22nd, 23rd at the Intrepid Theatre Club. Uh, you can also watch in January. They're going to be announcing their new season. They're going to do a season launch. And Heather is also directing uh, Sondheim's company for Langham Court coming up in January oh, as well. So she's very busy. Well, thanks, Heather, for taking the time to chat. And thanks, yeah, John. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what else is coming up? John, John's headed to Be Still. Going to be still, I'll also be seeing Othello up at the Phoenix, Brian Richmond's Othello. Yeah. I'll be at Rope at uh, Langham Court Theatre this week, so... Another Hitchcock. Mm. Looking forward to that, should be interesting. I'm headed to uh, Puente Theatre's remount of Fado. Uh, it opens on November 14th, and I saw it at the Fringe um, at White Eagle Hall at their own venue uh, last year, and it was such an excellent production, and that's been a bit of a theme, I guess, tonight, talking about an unlikable lead, and that <laughs> that was the problem with the show, my only problem with the show last and year. And they said they've tweaked, they're tweaking the script. it. Yeah, yeah so, so I'm curious to see if that's the, the quibble they fix, and just, I mean, it's if you've never seen Fado performed live, they have a beautiful... Um, at least they did in their earlier production, this absolutely beautiful performer um, performing half a dozen photo pieces. Mm. It will just absolutely break your heart. So it's worth it to go for that alone. Oh, oh. Um, but I'm really excited to see how they've fine-tuned the script to improve upon a few of those those pieces around character development. I love it when the uh, we get the fringe remounts, you know, some of those best of the fringes coming back in the mm -hmm. fall. Mm -hmm. uh, Girl Power being the obvious Girl one Power, coming up yeah. in mm -hmm. December. Yeah, yeah early, December. early December. And yeah. tickets are flying for oh, that one. So sure. we'll yeah. if you want to see it, don't, don't sit on that. Yeah. yeah. And the Wonderheads, too. Yeah. That's going uh, fast. Different show, but yeah. they had a fringe show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm actually heading out of town uh, to Kelowna to go see Bruce McCullough's new solo show with really? my sister. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Excellent. Uh, yeah. yeah. But if I were to recommend something coming up in the next couple weeks, music recommendation, uh, Snotty Nose Red Kids and the Sorority are playing at the Capitol Ballroom on November 15th. It's the final, might be one of the absolute last shows that the Sorority are doing. It's the end of their farewell tour. Um, they're a hip-hop group out of Toronto. Um, uh, Havaya Mighty is uh, she won the Polaris Prize this year. Yeah. Um, 
Did I say that name right? Yeah, I think yeah, so. I think so. Yeah. yeah. She won the Players Prize this year. Um, they've announced that the sorority is breaking up, so might be your last chance to see them. Sounds like a great mm-hmm. double bill. Yeah, yeah, awesome double bill. So that's Friday, November 15th at the Capitol Ballroom. Talk about local music at our Halloween display in my driveway. I had uh, Astro Color's latest album just on a loop. And, uh, you know, it really, people walked up and they're like, hey, what's this? <laughs> Pretty great. So I went and thanks saw, for the soundtrack. Yeah, I went and saw Righteous Rainbows of Togetherness oh, right after fun. the Belfry on Halloween night. Well, that's a that's quite the double. double. It was kidding. wild. It was super fun. They played a uh, a cover of the Ghostbusters theme. No. <laughs> and then I was like, this party is peaked. I'm going home. <laughs> it's like one in the morning. I was like, time to go. It was awesome. Uh, well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, if you want to get in touch, check the program yyj at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, at Check the Program. Uh, thanks to Heather Jarvie Laidlaw for chatting with us. And um, thanks to Carrie OK for our theme. We haven't thanked him in a bit. We're guess. always thankful. We're yes, always we are thankful. Um, so until we get around the t- together around the table next time, I'm Amanda Farrell Lowe. I'm John Thrillfall. I'm Sarah Petrescu. I'm Melanie Trump Hoover. And don't forget to check, check the, the program. The greatest show. The greatest show you know. The program. Check the program. Check the program. It's called Check the Program. Check the program. Yeah. Check the program. The greatest show that you know. Program. Check the program. Check the program, yeah.